college basketball fans, we have made it to week 14 of the season. I'm Timmy Hall. He's evil, bald Colin. We're excited to give you another episode of Mad About Hoops. Colin, I hear we're going to take a look at some bracketology today. Well, I mean, we can. You are directing the ship here. And I already turned in a Lunardi's up-to-date bracket filled out, ready to go. Your national championship is already decided. No need in even continuing the season. There you have it. The national <laughs> champion is in. The pick is in. EBC has made it. Do not go anywhere. You've got Mad About Hoops. Five to go. Lewis has been awesome. Let's it go. Let's it oh! Inbounds Turner. Left side of the backboard. Turner crossed the timeline. Throws it from high on the right. He, he hit it. it. He, he hit it. Evan Turner. It. He hit it just inside of half court. Lanes on the other wing. Bang. Oh! 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 Send it in, Jerome! <laughs> College basketball! This is March Madness! And we are proud to be giving you another episode of Mad About Hoops, breaking down everything and anything that is in this great game of college basketball. Again, I'm Timmy Hall. He's Eva Bald Colin. And, you know, I haven't studied a lot of bracketology just yet. I watch so much basketball. The teams are just sort of wired into me. Who is going to likely be in the big dance? When do you start paying attention to this stuff because it starts at the beginning of the season. Now it starts before the season begins. I think that's a two part question. When do I start looking at it? And when do I start taking it seriously? When I start looking at its first week, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm looking at Lunard dogs first when he pops open and I'm over analyzing it. But when I'm first taking it serious is when we get about two to three weeks out. So I'm getting pretty soon here out of like conference tournament time, because there's still, a lot of these teams, and especially I like to look at the seeds from like 11 to 14, those that could make the weird upsets happen, those aren't even for sure picks yet because most of them have the win their conference tournament to even be there. So yeah, I, I can't really take a serious look at it yet because there's still so many fluid pieces on top of all the bubble teams we still got to consider on the first four line out, first last four in, next four out, whatever. We have a general idea of how it's going to go, but still, we still need more time. We started we started off when we were spitballing what we would do on this podcast, if we would do, you know, a, a weekly ranking, a weekly bracketology report, and we decided against that stuff because there's so many of them out there already. I mean, you can you can sit here and say that oh, it would be original and you'd be doing your own thing, but it's almost like I like I I say about the college football playoff committee members. There's just no every fiber in my being tells me that they glance at the polls that already exist. I think so. And then go and try to judge accordingly because you don't want to make some claim that's too off base. So we decided to just be more organic and be reactionary and just have fun with this and comment on some of the stories and some of the teams that we like or don't like. And we've allowed ourselves to make big time predictions. We gave you our final fours off the start of the podcast, which might I add I don't know if I've ever had four teams that have looked this good this late. Seton Hall holding it together. You love Seton Hall. You love the Pirates, don't you? Yeah, I, I like Seton Hall in a lot of matchups they could have, but at the same time, it depends on the injury analysis of what Quincy McKnight's going through. He had an injury this past weekend against 
Xavier. So I'd like to see what happens with them. But they're a pretty damn good team. They get into a top three, four seed. I like them to make a chance to make a run. At least it's not Powell, who is one of the best players and best scorers in America, who had his concussion scare earlier in the season. It's not him. And they've missed their big guy, the big Georgian, Sandro. Say it for me. Mama Kuleshvili. Mama Kuleshvili. It's not Georgie Bejenshvili. Bejenshvili. From, from Illinois. Robbie Hummel says it so well. He's very the, good. The Big Ten broadcaster, the former Purdue baller. He gets the guy. The, both both Georgians, by the way. Illinois and Seton Hall. That's two very Two very relevant teams. You might see some storylines on that from uh, both of those big fellas being from the country of Georgia. It's like you say Georgia. You're like, where, where are you from? Athens? No, no. Not that Georgia. A little bit more uh, to the east of Athens than uh, than that. But where do you stand on the inundation now of bracketology reports? Because I, you got to give credit where credit's due for ESPN being the first one to go into this endeavor and start making the the pre-bracket. It's a great idea. I, I really tip the cat because nothing – is more Americana than filling out a bracket. So why not get a head start and start filling out a bracket before it actually comes out and get the pregame rolling for it? Yeah, I mean, like, right now, I think especially with Lunardi, he's doing a lot of projection. I I don't think this is where he would think teams would be as of today because if just look at the net rankings, which the NCAA is obviously going to use heavily in their search, and Ohio State would be one of the last five seeds right now. Yeah, he has them as an eight. So I think there's a lot more to just projection right now. Because, so he sees them sliding yeah, when this gets to the end. I think yeah. at some point, that's because I haven't really heard him speak on, on it. Like when he releases a new edition, is that what they are today? Or is that what his updated prediction for the future is? Because, you know, once we actually get down to the the closer to Selection Sunday, he becomes more and more correct. I mean, you'll see his most latest addition leading up to Selection Sunday, and not only will he have like teams in the right seed lines, he'll have the same matchups and the same locations, the same regionals. It's unbelievable how accurate he gets. Yeah, you would know this more than me because you just you naturally pay attention to this kind of stuff. Is it very eerie? It's extremely eerie throughout the years. Well, it's, those last two bracketology reports he puts out there. It is because I I think at the point it really only matters to him where he can nail down what seed line they are because then he goes in the order of okay, well, the best one seed gets the lowest two seed, but gets the highest three seed, but the lowest four seed. Like it's an alternating pattern that he puts together, and you you'll see it. He'll actually tweet it out each week whenever he releases a new updated bracketology report he actually just lists the seeds from one all the way to what are we 68 now so he goes from all sure, from 1 yeah. to 68 and then he just orders it in like a pattern like a a snake pattern into each bracket and then honestly he uses all the metrics that the NCAA uses and comes up with similar matchups you know what they should give him Warren Buffett's billion dollar prize <laughs> that that should count they always say if you get the perfect bracket there'll be some billion dollar challenge because it's I mean the odds are just ridiculous I mean you you could maybe create a new element before you would be able to get a bracket 100% correct but if Lenard dog ever guesses one even if it, he waits till Selection Sunday until the Big Ten Championship is done and has all that stuff to sift through, that would still be ridiculous if he could get something. I even think less than a perfect bracket, he should get some kind of uh, Warren Buffett change. Oh, it's, it's really uh, yeah. remarkable. 
if uh, if you could get even close to that with all the different the different variables that come into play. Just getting some of the cities correct is difficult. Getting some of the sites right. I mean, you can kind of gauge based on how good a team is and how you're going to get placed close to home. Duke, UNC, usually always, if it fits, they'll keep them close to Raleigh or Durham until they have to go to the Final Four. Things of that nature, but it's there's so many variables. You throw BYU into the mix, then you know you can't have BYU playing on Sunday. See, that's, that's so the they got to go part. Thursday, Saturday. Well, because BYU will sacrifice a seed line if it means it goes by that pattern. Like they're that serious about it. What do you mean they'll sacrifice the seed line? They will like they, inform they, the committee. They will knock us down hey, if you have to. You want us in an eight spot that plays? Was it Thursday or Saturday? Saturday? We can't do that. Drop us to a nine, and we'll play Friday and Sunday. No, you mean the other way around. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, hey, BYU actually is in the big dance right now, and they are a pretty good team out in the West Coast Conference. Be. They're seven seed right now. So but let's go look over. At, but real quick, yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to do his most recent update and ch- just kind of get in the mind of how he thinks about it, especially with the two seeds. I mean, he's got West Virginia and Cleveland. He's also got Dayton and Cleveland, and he's got Louisville and St. Louis and Duke and Greensboro. So he tries to do more of like location, which best fits a team for their seed line. And I think that's how the NCAA kind of thinks about it, too. That's just what I wanted to add. Yeah, how about West Virginia? How about West Virginia right now being 17-4, and four, and you go back to that game. You know, we're, we always tell you we're here in Columbus, Ohio, and how Ohio State could have been 12-1 and one if they just close out West Virginia. It's it's a pr- I'll give them credit. It's a very decent West Virginia team, but that's a game Ohio State should have had. And this is not a West Virginia team that should be a two seed, I believe. No, I I don't look at West Virginia and they're seventeen and four, and but they're way way me, back in their conference now, yeah. way behind Baylor at nine and zero, oh, and Kansas at eight and one, and that's even with West Virginia grabbing a. Oh, I'm sorry, no, they didn't. This is one of the first years that. Uh, well, they still get Kansas at home, so that game's coming up on February 12th. Sure. So that'll be the one to watch. It seems like West Virginia beats KU every single year when they play right beside the river there. Yeah, I personally believe, like, I, I understand Seton Hall just lost to Xavier, and he actually dropped them down because of that in this update. He has a little marker down next to Seton Hall's name, but... I mean, the body of work of what Seton Hall has compared to what West Virginia might have at the end of the year, I think is going to be better. But uh, again, I think you said West Virginia still has to play Baylor again, to, right? West Virginia, uh, let me let me go back to their page you, there. Yeah, they play it, Baylor on the road. They play Kansas. Here's what's coming up for them. Iowa State at home, Oklahoma on the road, Kansas at home, Baylor on the road. I think they got to take at least one of those two to justify staying at that two line, especially above a seat in Hall. Absolutely. Yeah, of course they do. Because if you drop two, I think they'll drop down to about a three. And, I mean, whatever happens outside of that could four be in play. I don't know. It's just there's a lot of conjecture right now. There's a lot of teams that you could see being overseeded, a lot of teams that are underseeded. And then there's this team that we keep on talking about in Dayton that's in just a really funny position. Yeah, we're going to we're going to have a, a deeper discussion about Dayton. And why not? The Dayton Flyers have just sort of become our ceremonial team here, but the other uh you know, no, go you, ahead. I just want to say, did you see Rostin? It kind of seemed like it was I didn't like what he said on Twitter the other night about saying he was talking about Rhode Island, obviously the point guard Fats Russell, who's a really, really good point guard. He's, oh, he's averaging Minnesota Fats. He's, he's, Fats aver- Russell. he's averaging close to 20 points a game and you know, he was ta- he was going back and forth with a fan between Rhode Island and Dayton. He's like, if you switch Jalen Crutcher off of Dayton with Fats Russell, they would be a legit national championship contender as in Dayton. I'm like, is there that much Are of a trade-off? Are they not now? Yeah. Are they not about- now? 
is Crusher and Fats Russell that much of a trade-off? I don't really know if that's the case. No Dayton fan in their right mind would get no. Crutcher off of that team. Absolutely with, I mean, not. he hit a game-winning shot, for God's sakes, against St. Louis. That's help. It's helping to keep their seed in, in their current status right here. But going over what the ones were, because then we'll take a, a short breather and we'll talk more about Dayton and the, the fight that we were having off the air or off off the, we're not really on the air, but off the podcast. Right. Baylor, Kansas, Gonzaga, and San Diego State, they're the ones. And slow clap for the Aztecs who are sitting at 23-0. and Now, they beat Utah State in that game to watch. It was a good game. They pulled away 80-68. to They got that thing done. The Aggies have suffered a little bit. Utah State is 17-7. and A lot of people thought they'd Man. probably be – they would be maybe the San Diego State yep. team. It might be that that sort of uh, random undefeated squad this late in the season, but it's, it's the old Aztecs, and we've seen them do damage in college hoops before. They were sort of a mainstay as one of those mid-majors when Fisher was there, but that's uh, the top dogs in the bracketology. Now they got the Brian Dutcher, the Flying Dutchman. Yeah, they got the Flying Dutchman, but those are the one seeds for uh, the Lenard dog right now. We're, we're just going exclusive to Joe Lenardi for the bracketology. The, the CBS and, and everybody else at this point, it's just it's too much. We're focusing on the one, but the other things, you mentioned the two seeds. Some of the other guys to watch. Maryland is a three. Florida State is a three. Seton Hall and Michigan State are the threes. And then there's this. The Big Ten has 11. The next conference has six in the SEC. Five for the Pac-12, which is shockingly high for the Pac-12. In recent years, they've been getting two, three teams in. Almost uh, you know, feeling like a mid-major conference. Big 12, five. Big East, five. ACC three, but I mean, your comment there with the Big Ten, 11 teams in. That's incredible. I, I mean, we're used to seeing that with a, a conference like the ACC, but I think there's the Big Ten get 10 last year. So I, I, we're not completely far off, but just I don't a, think it was. I think it was maybe nine. It was nine. I or think 10. the double digits is a big deal. Well, big deal. Yeah. I mean, the ACC typically gets there because they have 15 teams and it's just everybody beats each other up. Every year, it seems like, but it's it's a down year for the middle pack of the ACC, which makes sense. But no, yeah, the Big Ten, night in and night out. We've talked about this many times. No matter who you're playing, you cannot look ahead more than one game because you could get picked off by anybody. A team that's on the first four out in Lunardi's bracket right now beat Ohio State twice in Minnesota. Minnesota is out. So Northwestern... Minnesota. And Minnesota's got some tough games coming up. And Nebraska. That's it? Yeah. I can't even believe Minnesota would be one of the teams that's out of all of the Big Ten basketball teams. With Daniel Oturu, who is NBADraft.net right now, number eight pick. Number oh, eight pick. that high? Wow. Yeah, pretty darn high. Pretty darn high. But uh, we'll get into this Dayton discussion and where they stand and what I think they could do and what I think they deserve We'll be right back in just a second. It's Mad About Hoops. When it's time to party, we will party hard. So as you mentioned earlier, Dayton's a team that's on everybody's minds when it comes to the NCAA tournament. They are the headliner of the mid-major category for this tournament. And unfortunately, in my opinion, it's really the only... Few of the few that I could name off the top of my head of mid-majors that could really cause some trouble in this tournament. Because quite honestly, when you're looking at the possibilities for the 11s, the 12s, and the 13 seeds, 
they don't really blow off the map for me. I'm not a big fan. So, Colin, you are, I mean, I agree with you that uh, Dayton is the team. We're closer to them, though. We know a lot more about the Dayton Flyers than we do the San Diego State Aztecs. 100%. And we know a lot more about the competition level that Dayton's been playing. I, I look at San Diego State's resume, and they did beat BYU. They did beat Creighton. They pounded Creighton. They beat Iowa. They're they're a team to respect. They have a they have a better resume. There's no they're doubt about it. They're 23 and 0. I mean, I mean, that's a stupid comment for me to say. They're a team to respect. They're 23 and 0. I don't care where you're playing, you can ball if you've sure. gotten this late in the year and you haven't incurred a loss. So that that's ridiculous. They beat Utah State twice now, so they're a team, but I, it's not crazy to be of the opinion that Dayton is the better basketball team. I mean, it's not just about going undefeated. You can be a two-loss team and be better than an undefeated team. Uh, sh- surely that's that's not a wild thought to have. I do agree with you. I test-wise, Dayton is the better team. I do love Malachi Flynn. He's one of my favorite players in the nation to watch. But just watching the games, Dayton looks like they present a better product. But you can also not deny that just stacking up wins against each other, San Diego State has the better wins. So what we were fighting about is we we told you where those number one seeds are right now in Joe Lenardi's bracketology. But I contend that if Dayton can get this done, and what I mean by getting this done is they don't lose another game. So I'm going to try to count it off here because they're they're 20 and two right now. 20 and two. Off the top of my head, I'm going to guess that that's going to, if they they rip through the rest of the regular season, I don't quite know exactly how the A-10 tournament sets up off the top of my head for the number one seed, but they've got, count them with me, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine in the regular season left. About what everybody else has right now. They would have to play at least two, surely, in their A-10 tournament. Maybe they get a bye into the semifinal. Let's call it 11. So that would put them... At 31 and 2. I cannot envision them not being a one seed. I can't. I, I we we veer. This is where Paul Walker and Vin Diesel were veering. We look at each other and we're on separate roads. Only let's hear, I, I don't let's know. Hear your reasoning first. My reasoning is 31 and 2. I go back to St. Joe's when they did it in this exact same conference when they had Delonte West and Jameer Nelson. What a wickedly good backcourt for a team like that for Phil Martelli, who's now one of the bench coaches for Jawan Howard. But Dayton just they have a look factor. They've got Obi Toppin, this incredible player that might wind up being the number one overall pick in the draft. And in newsflash, he is still developing and getting better every single game he plays. Every time Obi Toppin gets 30 minutes under his belt in a real college basketball game, he's getting better. Go check out this kid's story and how he how he started playing the sport. It hasn't been that long. There was a there was a family move in there when uh, he was in high school where he moved to New York. He was hardly on anyone's radar. I think Rhode Island and maybe one other mid-major school and then it was Dayton and that's it. And look what he has become. You mentioned Crutcher. You mentioned Trey Landers. You mentioned Mike Sell. They've just got all these guys that are so solid. They could play inside. They can hit shots from the outside. They're tough defensively. I just think they would deserve it. And I think when you look at those teams that are above them, mainly Kansas and Baylor, 
I can't think I can't believe that San Diego State's going to keep this up. That's for one because we've already said that. We just we both believe Dayton's just a better basketball team. So my hope would be there that if they can pull this off and I'm putting giving them a 40% chance to do it because I believe that much in the Flyers and they're better than their league right now. They'll be a one seed. They'll be a one seed if they're 31 and 2 and they win the A10 tournament. Are you basing that solely off of just their work in front of them or I'm basing it basing- off of them and the fact that I wouldn't think the four teams ahead of them right now would be able to keep it up and keep them at bay. You think so, though, So so I disagree with that point because I'm just looking at the list, and I I do – Baylor and Kansas do play one more time, correct? Yes. Okay. So let's say Baylor loses that game. I think that's going to lock Kansas into a one seed at some point, unless it's just a complete disaster unfolds. And then you take a look at Baylor's resume, the teams they beat, like a Butler. They've already got a Kansas on their resume. They're – Tops and all the efficiency ratings, like offensive and defensive. Um, I I just think one little loss to Kansas wouldn't really be enough to kick them out of a one line. Like if you're stacking up against Dayton's resume, especially with I think they're either seven and one or eight and one in quad one wins. So Baylor's already stacking a resume that's going to hold for itself, regardless of you know if they get another loss or two down the road. And so then you take the look on the other side of things with Dayton, and I, I think they're three and two, maybe four, they just maybe went to four and two in their quad one games. So they're going to probably have about half when it comes to being said and done with some of these top teams and quad one appearances. Um, I, I think Gonzaga's on a cr- collision course to be a one seed. I think that's out of the question. I think they will run the table, get what they need to do done there. San Diego State, I mean. Their conference right now doesn't really provide anything to me. Maybe outside of the road game, the final game of the season against Nevada where they could trip up. But even if they lose one game, I I think they wouldn't be out of the question of getting a one seed still. It, it had to be losing that Nevada game or maybe uh, a championship game loss in the Mountain West Conference title game against Utah State. I don't think they'd be out of the question. And then I start looking at other two seeds and how they compare to them. I think Duke has a better resume. While they have a pad loss or two on their resume. I think they have enough wins and quad one wins to stack up against Dayton. And I also believe Louisville has some games on their resume that could also put them above. I think they're about seventh in the total seed line right now, and they would have to have some help from the top seeds in front of them. I would I would just love to see it too. I would love to see an A-10 team that rips off potentially 31 wins be rewarded because this is this is a Dayton team that went out to Maui. This is a team that played Anthony Edwards and just shut him down. Just destroyed Georgia early in the season. Beat Virginia Tech. Destroyed Virginia Tech out at the Maui. And that game against Kansas, I think that just put put them on the map. And the one game that they lost against Colorado, I mean, 78-76, that game was played right down to the wire. I know I'm trying to give credit for, for losses now, but I, I don't even feel sorry about that. Their two losses were to Kansas and Colorado in one possession games mm-hmm. at the very end. Yeah. I mean, th- those are tough teams, particularly Kansas, to stay in the fight with all game long. You make great points, but believe me, you do. Like, if if there was ever a, a quartet of teams that would be difficult to unseat right now with what they have left, as you point out, I'm leaning towards... I think they, of, need, they need help. Of those four, I would lean towards... San Diego State, even though they have the easiest schedule left, just because I don't believe 
in them as much as a basketball team and let it out right here because you already were were talking to me when we took our breather back there about if there is a one seed to go out early, you're already oh. falling into that old hole of whoever the sort of most mid-majory team that gets the one seed, you're going to knock them out in that 8-9 game. You can see yourself doing that to the Aztecs. 100%, and I've already told you, this Lenardi update has the Michigan and St. Mary's winner playing them. Sure, I, you'd pick I, Michigan I'm, or St. Mary's I'm all the way. I, I don't think they deserve based off their talent on one seed, but the resume is probably what's going to do it later on down the road. I, like I said, I 100% agree Dayton's the better team. If Dayton and San Diego State play on a neutral court, I'm laying about eight to nine points with Dayton. I feel pretty confident doing that. The only issue is, is we're such in a resume stacking business here that San Diego State's kind of got some things on their side that kind of benefits their cause. Unfortunately, that's the case. But I think you'd ask any Dayton fan right now, they're okay with being in this range. You know, some of them like being kind of underlooked or overlooked, I should say, overlooked and not really being given the true value of what they are. Because I, I'm telling you right now, if this is our two or three seed and a bracket with someone like uh, Kansas or maybe in San Diego State's bracket, I'm telling you right now, they'd love that. We'd have to go back and, you know, St. Joe's, I think, wound up going to the Elite Eight and everyone had St. Joe's that year as the team to go out in the 8-9 game. That was the popular pick for the brackets. And I want to think that that was Oklahoma State when they went to the Final Four with with uh, Lucas Jr., the terrific guard for them. Okay. He was great. Uh, he was there when, when I was in school at Kansas. And that was a game that was played down to the wire, I, I think, when Oklahoma State got him and went on to their Final Four. The Zags might have had this happen to them because until the last three or four years, Mark Few has had big trouble cashing in on their incredible run and dominance of the West Coast Conference that we can go and find maybe 10 occurrences of the Zags being round of 32 and out with all the tournaments that they've made. I mean, they've been in the big dance every single year. Mm -hmm. He's been the head coach. I mean, credit to him. Every year since 2000, they've been in the field. I will say this is probably his weakest team since the years where Jimmer Fredette and BYU were taking over the conference. Jimmer. I think it's been since then where this team's really been that weak. And again, Lunardi has Ohio State in that eight nine matchup facing them. If Gonzaga's the one seed they play on the other side of that, I'm not really terribly scared. Outside of Philip Petrusive and some key role guys, there's not really anybody that pops off the page. Did we tell him yet who's winning the national championship? Like we uh, talked about in the open there. Did we tell him yet? Well, I mean, we can if we're going based off the Lunardi bracket. Well, let's let's take another quick breather, the last one. And then we'll wrap up the podcast for this week. We'll uh, take a look at the weekend, see what the big games are. And you, you've you got to give them your national championship and the stats that you were showing me before the pod, too, about efficiency. And I believe your team fits your own statistics. Yeah, no, I, I yeah. we had this discussion last like year. When team. you did that little podcast where you were asking the fan personalities about you know, their brackets and who they had winning mm-hmm. it all. And I think I came out to you and said, you know, I follow the statistics that stock up year in and year out. And what I'm going to tell you later on is by the book for the past five to six years has been on spot. And that stretch where it was Villanova, North Carolina, Villanova, I hit all three of those in a row. Listen to evil, everybody. Listen to evil. And also tell your friends about this podcast, Mad About Hoops. You can tell them whatever podcast platform they keep on their iPhone or their Android 
we are in there. Whether it's Google Podcasts, whether it's iTunes, whether it's Spotify, whether it's my favorite one, Stitcher, that I use for all my stuff, we're in all of them. So search us up, give us a listen, give us a review and a rating. We certainly appreciate it. Quick break. We'll finish it up right here next. It's Mad About Hoops. Timmy, you know just as much as anybody in the world that I am up there in terms of people that love the advanced statistics, the saber metrics, anything that you can do to group teams or stack teams on top of each other or basically resume base everybody against each other. I love to do it. You're a stat man. You know I, what? I do. Let's test do your like skills it. as a stat man. Who Uh-oh. leads the nation in scoring? These are easy stats, too. These are way less, uh, way more low-key than the advanced ones you're going to throw at me. These are the I simple believe, ones. I believe Gonzaga is averaging like 89 points a game. You know what? You might be right. I didn't. I was looking at uh, individuals, though. Oh, I'm individuals? I'm looking at the top okay. five individual scores. Then it's got to be Marcus Howard. Yeah, Marcus Howard. Care to take a guess where he's at? <sighs> Kamar Baldwin's around 18. I'll go with <laughs> Look at 25. This guy. 27.9. 27.9. Give it give I, it up for Marcus I, Howard. I mean, just but he's watching hot and his cold, games. Though. Yes, watching his games, it's because he's shooting every third possession. How about Luca Garza? Fifth in the country. Fifth in the country at 23 points per game. Yeah, man. That's impressive. That's impressive because Luca Garza is a way more efficient player. He is a 23 and 10 guy, 54% from the field. He gives you an assist a game. He gives you a block and a half a game. Can we just give him the Big Ten Player of the Year trophy now? I would. Can we just give him the award? I would. Just the way he's developed yeah. in his Sorry, Cassius. You know, he's been in the past, he's been kind of, I like to say, out of control as a big man. You know, they, they're not as coordinated, but he's really worked on that in his years there. And just the way he's, in terms of strength around the basket, it's impressive this season. Yeah, I'm looking at the other three guys that are sandwiched in between, and none of them are as efficient. They're they're more volume guys. Uh, Javon Jackson from UT San Antonio, 26 a game, six boards. Great player, but 42% from the field. Nothing. Uh, Antoine Davis, Detroit Mercy, he is a 35% shooter. So, no, get out of here. Jermaine Marrow, he's uh, with Hampton. That's your top five scorers in college basketball, everybody. Huh. And then Marcus Howard, you give it up for him. He's a big-time player in a big-time conference. 41.5%, three rebounds, three assists, 28 a game. That's, that's a lot that's better no than joke. I was expecting. Yeah, that, that is, been, right? The way he volume shoots, I'm so I'm surprised he's, I'm surprised he's shooting over 40%. But no, nothing compares to the big guy there. So no, Luca Garza not. should be first-team All-American, and uh, I guess we're sort of making the case that he should be very highly thought of for National Player of the Year, too, Deciding, with what he's doing. I, I agree with you, but man, there's going to be a lot of people wondering should they go with Udoka there? Udoka has a bookie. Yeah, that's going to be tough. Which brings us to <laughs> the national championship team, the stats that you got to give us here. So we, we started this by looking at the bracketology and doing our first big bracketology breakdown here as we're beginning February and March Madness is next month. So we were looking at Joe Lenardi. We call him the Lenard dog. <laughs> and you already filled out the bracket that on released. Lenardi's bracketology. I do this every update he does. <laughs> That's amazing. And you got your national champ. So yes. just have the team. And you know what? It's in my preseason final four. I picked two big dogs mm-hmm. and then one ranked team and one unranked. And these 
this guy is one of the big dogs. It's actually the national it's, championship game, two of my final fours that you it's have. It's funny because actually if you follow along to what I just put out there, I think all four teams you put I have pretty de- going pretty decent. Where do you have Seton Hall? I have Seton Hall going to the final four. Because it's hard to read it here. You do. You have SH, KU. I have Florida State in the Elite Eight. And you have Duke and... I have Duke in the final four. Who are, you, who are they playing? Oregon? Duke. Do you have Oregon going? Uh, Oregon, Duke, Oregon, Oregon's and Kansas in the final and Seton Hall? Yes. So, okay. So you've got three of my four preseason final four picks. And one of my four. And we're here in February. No, I, I your teams have done really well. I, I I can't disagree, but yes, Kansas is is the team right now. I'm picking to win the national championship. Yeah, maybe it's yep. just based off of Lenard Dog's structure here, but I think the metrics really is going to back up what I'm about to say here. So, I, I love going to Ken Palm because he has all the advanced statistics that match up and stack up when you're over analyzing these teams. Because in terms of offensive offensive efficiency, the top ten. You're going to find the national championship team in there more times often than not. In fact, during the last decade from 2010 through 2019, there was only one year that a team outside of the top 10 at the end of the season in offensive efficiency won the national title, and that was 2014 UConn. What is the exact pull for offensive efficiency? I know it has to do with field goal it's, percentage and quality shots. What Go uh, a little bit also, deeper it's, there. Uh, points per possession kind of thing, too. Is it looking at, you know, anything about like three-point field goals versus two-point field goals? Is it taking anything into account there? Yeah, so it does a little bit, but it's like out of 100 possessions, how many points are you scoring in those? So I so think— So is, is that it? Is that that plain and simple? It, it's— Points per 100 possessions. There's some things thrown into it, and I, I think when he does like adjusted offensive efficiency, that's where it kind of gets a little shady when you're talking about— Two points versus three points, but just straight up offensive efficiency is points per 100 possessions. And you know when you boil it down, that's a pretty, <laughs> it's a pretty sane way to look at it. Very efficient teams will last <laughs> deep in the tournament. Who'd have thunk it, right? Yeah. I mean, I would imagine very highly uh, rated defense, defensive teams, teams that are in the top ten in defensive efficiency. There's probably a lot of those that are there too. There's probably a lot that are in both. When you start talking about the top dogs in college basketball. Oh, absolutely. Would Kansas not be in the top 10 in defensive efficiency as well right KU now? KU is number three. There you go. And if you'd like to guess the top 10 in offense, I'll let you do that right now. Because they're pretty much as expected. There's a few kind of eyebrow raisers, but outside of that, there's a lot of expected. I'm not going to get all 10, but I would imagine Kansas, Seton Hall, Gonzaga. Uh, Seton Hall is not. Seton Gonzaga's, Hall's not. Gonzaga's number one. Gonzaga's going to be up there. Uh, Duke. Duke is there. Probably up there. Dayton. Dayton's number two. There you go. Louisville. Uh, Louisville is not. Michigan State. Michigan State is not. Maryland. Florida State. Maryland is not, and Florida State is not. Here, I'll run I'm, it and down I'm going it. with three seeds here. I'm trying to just go down the line. Here's so, a, ba- Baylor. Sorry, Baylor, San Diego State, Kansas, Gonzaga, the ones. Baylor's in the defensive side. Not in the top ten in offense. No, which is not surprising if you've watched their games. LSU, Auburn. Villanova, is. Oregon Auburn is not. Oregon is okay. There you go. What I get like seven or eight then? Yeah, I was in there and BYU and LSU. Oh well, BYU, just get them out of there. They're not. <laughs> come on. Childs is having come a pretty on. nice year. How's the big guy doing? That's not the big guy, is it? Uh, that was ridiculously Childs. suspended. Yeah, yeah, no, that's him. That, that's the guy. Yeah. Okay. It's been such a long time since I looked at BYU. I remember uh, Jay Billis having a mental breakdown about that, <laughs> much like he did 
when he was watching Ohio State Michigan last night as uh, we're coming to you guys on February 5th here on a Wednesday for this edition. And yeah, Jay Billis was just having a nervous breakdown about how the powers that be and all the uh, conferences and the heads of officiating there have allowed college hoops to be ruined once again this year because there's no freedom of movement. And he was he was half right in that game. The lack of calls oh, for, for sure. interior post play, not just post play contact on drives to the basket yeah, I and plays agree. in the post and in the paint, whether it was an offensive rebound, whether it was a low post move, whether it was a guard driving and going hard to the basket, whether it was a fast break, there was just maybe 15% of what should have been called a foul was called in that one. Yeah. Too many times often I see is you kind of have a shift in how they call the game where, you know, They'll let them play early on, and then they'll call it tight later. Or it's tight early in the game. They're trying to set a precedence. And then later in the game, they say, okay, take over the game. You guys control the game. We will be in the background. Like, it, it just, all we want is consistency. That's all we want. I know they have a tough job, but is just oh, calling yeah. the rules of basketball that hard? And just when someone is obliterated down low, you put them on the free throw line? I mean, I can... Free throws are enjoyable for me. Like it's it it's not as boring as when you call ticky tack BS when someone's hedging, right? When someone's hedging on a ball screen 30 feet from the basket and it doesn't affect the play at all. It doesn't even move the guard off of his spot or deflect a ball or anything or some weak call. That's what was called so much in that game and that game in particular. This ticky tack stuff away from the basketball and then nothing when someone had the ball in hand going to the hoop, was called. Yeah, it no didn't, action it didn't the free throw sense. line. Ohio State didn't attempt their first free throw until I think about 12 minutes left in the game. Because that's part of the game. That's shooting. Yeah. You get to shoot when you go to the free throw line. May the better shooter win. You make him, you get two points for your team. You no. don't, you suck. You put your tail between your legs and you get back on defense. We'd rather be ticky-tacky about, you know, was his left leg set when he set the screen versus, you know, when a guy gets completely hacked going to the hoop. Your boys, Butler, some of the bigger games. Uh, I'm going to be out the rest of the week and this weekend. Unfortunately, got the uh, got the funeral to go to with my grandfather. May he rest in peace. Yep. Love that guy, Jack Hall. Watch a lot of basketball with that dude. Can't say I watched as much basketball with him as I did golf, but either way, he uh, was a big Purdue Boilermaker fan because both of his kids went there. So I'm going to miss that guy. But either way, the show goes on. And Butler Villanova for you tonight, man. That's a big one. That's one of the biggest games the rest of the weekend here. Yeah, for me. Butler definitely needs it to get back on track, especially in the Big East. You know, there's so many certain types of games where you just have to win, and especially in that conference, you have to win at home. And when you co- are coming off of a loss to the second-worst team in the conference at home, that makes it all the more imperative to beat a team above you at home. Yeah, then you're going to have another big, big East clash on the weekend when Seton Hall goes to Villanova. That's, that's 12 versus 10 as it stands right now. That's big St. Louis at Dayton where you have to pay 70-some dollars to get a cheap seat at UD Arena right now for the rest of the way. I that's big. There's a game, I think Dayton plays LSU-Auburn is Saturday too. Dayton plays St. Louis this weekend. So that's the game. Okay, yeah. so... And I believe Duke and UNC is this weekend, correct? And Duke and Carolina. So I saw it's actually cheaper to get in at Chapel Hill this weekend than it is Dayton. I saw somebody post a StubHub Incorrect. Incorrect. No. Did it change? Yeah, oh, I'm okay. looking. The, well, they're all different, right? But okay. what I'm looking at on ESPN scoreboard, I think they use 
I don't know if it's Vivid Seats or, or StubHub. Tickets as low as 147 for Chapel Hill. Tickets as low as 72 for UD Arena. Really? Because yeah. I've heard you couldn't get in for under a, a, a hundred bucks right now. I thought so too. That may have just shifted. Gonzaga's that's, at St. Mary's too this weekend. Something's got to be wrong because if that's the case, that might make an emergency trip down there. <laughs> that's it'd be worth it, right? Oh my to gosh! Go see Obi. Well, I was talking to my friend because he's also he's a UD alum, and we've been talking like you know it's hard. We wanted to go to the Fordham game, but even that was kind of outpriced. But um, no, if it's under a hundred bucks, I'm I'm willing to pay that to go see that game. That's two of the better teams in the A10. God, if I was here this weekend, I would gladly do that with you. You also got to look at Virginia going on the road to Louisville. The Cavs are, you know, they're still good. They're they're fourteen and six. This they're is, firmly in the picture yeah. right now. They could they could get a huge resume boost and be back in the polls just like that if so they get it this done. This is really weird. So right now, Lunardi has Texas Tech as a nine seed, and then the, I believe he has Virginia just on the outside right now. I mean, you're kind of playing with a flirty line here. It'd be only the third time since 1980 that both the teams in the national championship game did not make the tournament the final, the following season. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, I can't wait to get back here next week. One step closer, one week closer to the big dance. It's starting to fly by right now. Man, it's. I'm starting to get heated up just for conference tournaments, let alone March Madness. I, I love pulling together the brackets for all the mid-major conferences and buddies and I. We kind of dissect and pick the winners nice. of conferences and award points for it. You just get really excited this time of year. As each day goes on in February, it just gets more and more. All right. Go Buckeyes. Big game at Wisconsin on Sunday. Maybe trip back into the polls if they get that thing done. Would be at 16-7 and seven and even, would. even in uh, the Big Ten standings. And they can go streaking a little bit. And maybe, who knows, DJ Cart, maybe he comes back this this year. You saw he posted after the game last night. He was excited and everything. Yeah, it, it does look like, you know, maybe he's thinking about that. That sure. looks like something you don't want to miss out on. And I think, uh, I think, I know I'm not there. I think it would be great. You know, I, I think he might find that that's something that's going to help him with whatever he's going through. But we're, of course, all supportive for DJ Carton doing whatever he feels he needs to do to get his mental health squared away. Enjoy the games, everybody. Enjoy the weekend. And we'll see you on the next edition of Mad About Hoops.